All right, well, good morning. Turn with me to Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, and we'll be finishing up the rest of the chapter. We'll be going through verses 14 through 33. Uh, I felt the announcement today about uh, the Christian conference coming up was fairly fitting uh, because, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed hearing about missionaries, hearing about what their life is like out on the fields and seeing... Um, you know, kind of what they're up to. And, and at those conferences, you will hear from different missionaries, like, like Matt had said, and, you know, they'd say, okay, this is the location I'm serving at. This is uh, my mission there. This is what I'm hoping to do while I'm there. And uh, they also, though, when they have these personal sessions where they can talk, they'll talk about um, kind of their mindset that they have when they go forward in this mission that they have. This is the mindset. This is the goal. This is the aim I have. Uh, for my mission, and uh, they kind of talk also how they view their work and how God is using them to do their work. They'll tell you about successes, victories, things like that. Um, They also talk about trials that they face on the mission field, and um, sometimes they talk about other people they met along the way, other believers who have encouraged them, who have helped them, who have given them um, just things that they can go on to, to strive to continue on in that work. Uh, and usually, though, at the end of it, they'll also end with a series of prayer requests. These are things that I, I urge you to pray alongside with me for. These are things I want you to, um, to pray for. And so today, I, I find it uh, fitting that the announcement was given because uh, today's passage, in many ways, Paul is giving us a missionary update. He's giving us a missionary letter of how his work is going and, and what he's doing for the Lord. This will be, or actually, believe it or not, second to last message here in this book in Romans. Paul is here wrapping up the book. He's just finished a lot of the heavier doctrine uh, that he's completed in the first uh, 14 chapters. And now he's concluding this note on a, really a personal, a personal side. And uh, up, you know, up until this point, he's been, he's been very bold, very outspoken in what he's been saying. And now he's just kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, now that I've said all those things, this is really what's uh, near and dear to me. This is what's on my heart. Um, these are personal things that I have. And this is kind of the update that he's giving to the Church of Rome. And in this, this final missionary update letter, if you will, he's talking about his future plans. He's talking about the mission field that God has given him as a full-time worker. He's going to talk about a gift that he's going to give to a church. He's going to talk about also... Uh, several prayer requests that he has for his future uh, upcoming events and and things that are happening. So he wants the saints to pray with him for these things. But overall, uh, if you were to kind of consolidate into one idea of what's happening here, uh, this section talks about the mindset that Paul has towards ministering or towards a ministry uh, for the Lord. And Paul is just a great example of a man devoting his life to ministry, a man who uh, wants to bring the gospel to the people who are lost. And if I were to quickly jot down five things you can learn from this letter, um, there are five takeaways that we'll see um, that hopefully any believer uh, will follow and, and really should do in order to be effective in their ministry for the Lord. So let's read our passage, and then we'll get into those things. So we're starting in Romans 15, verses 14, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. It says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, 
filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Jesus Christ in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the, by the, power of the Spirit of God, that from Jerusalem and round about to um, Illyrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ uh, was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it was written, to those, or sorry, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you, Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by the way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, my, now I beg you brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayer to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Before we get to these uh, five takeaways from Paul's letter, Paul uh, uses the first couple verses in this section to explain, to, to further clarify to the Romans why he's written to them in the first place, why he's decided to, to write this letter. And so in verse 14 and 15, he says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. And so Paul lets the Romans know that, you know, I only have good things to say about you. Um, and he gives them this, this praise. He gives them um, kind of this commendation saying, you know what, I am confident that your faith is strong in the Lord. From what I've heard from other people, I've heard nothing but good things. And even though I've um, never heard of you, I, I, I commend you because of the report of how you are full of goodness you're complete in knowledge, and you're able to instruct one another. Those are all great signs for any church. Those are great signs to see that a church is thriving. If they can do those three things, uh, that, that's really good to see that the Lord is, um, is using this church and they are, they're doing and, and acting as a normal church should. And so he applauds them for it. But despite his good reports, despite never having met them personally, Paul does want to 
boldly tell them uh, the things he just written about in the first 14 chapters as a reminder to them about their responsibilities, about their privileges as a believer. And so he felt liberty to write boldly to them because, after all, God had called him to a full-time ministry of being an apostle to the Gentiles. And we read about that in verse 16 where God calls Paul uh, it says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so to Paul, it was his duty. It was his duty to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. It was his mission to tell them about Jesus Christ, about what he had done for them, and so that they can know how they can be saved and live eternally with Christ. And Paul viewed his ministry as a sort of a priestly function in which he brought the Gentiles the gospel, and of those who trusted in Christ through his preaching, he would then in turn present those saved Gentiles as an acceptable offering to God, and, then, and that's because they had been already set apart by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so therefore, Paul felt that he it was in a position where he could boldly speak upon these things to the Church of Rome, and, uh, and now that he's already spoken those things as a reminder, uh, Paul is now about to, to tell uh, his readers kind of the mindset that he has towards ministry. Now that my, I've told you my ministry is reaching the Gentile nations, I'm going to tell you more so about how I, how I view that, how I go uh, and approach that, that ministry. And here is just, like I said, five key attitudes or approaches he took towards ministry. And again, these things are applicable not just to Paul, but to us as well. In whatever ministry you're involved in, in whatever uh, way you serve the Lord, these five points could be said and should be said of any Christian who's actively involved in serving the Lord. And the first attitude that he had is that all glory belongs to Christ. That's number one. All glory belongs to Christ. In verse 17 through 19, it says, Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and in deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. In any ministry you're involved in throughout any part of your lifetime, in any service, this is probably the most important thing you can possibly have at the forefront of your mind, is that it's not about you. It's not about how great of a speaker you are. It's not about how great of an evangelist you are. It's not about how well you can explain a difficult passage. It's not about how gifted you are in some way or how great you can serve in a certain area. It's not about you. It is about what God is doing through you in a ministry to reach the lost people of this world. It is a mindset that Paul held, and as he looked upon his ministry, um, it wasn't him patting himself on the back about what a great job I've done. It wasn't him boasting in himself. He had the mindset that if anyone had come to Christ through his preaching, through his teaching, if anyone had been transformed from being a child of wrath to a child of God, then it wasn't him who did it, but it was God working through him. And uh, it was God using him as a vessel to bring the word to people who had never heard it before. And so Paul, he glories in what Jesus Christ has done through him and gives all the glory and praise to him in return for, for the wonderful things he's doing through his ministry. 
And Paul goes even further to admit that even the signs and the wonders that he was able to do was not through his own power, not through his own ability, but again, it was the power of the Spirit of God so that the gospel could again be preached and believed upon by the saints from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. And so again, uh, number one thing is all glory belongs to Christ. Uh, for, for our service, for our ministry, through anything we do, he deserves and all the glory belongs to him. I do remember, um, <clears throat> just, in, in, just as a side note, um, for kind of the distance that Paul covered, uh, it says Jerusalem to Illyricum, kind of as his goal. Uh, a few years ago, you know, we, we set aside uh, a goal to kind of reach the neighborhood in Fremont. And I remember we had this map of, it was a pretty large map, of just the different areas, the different sections we were going to hand out gospel literature to. And every week, you know, we would give a certain portion. Okay, you have these 10 streets. You need to go down and put a track on their door or, or knock on the door. And, uh, it, you know, it kind of invited them to this church, invited them um, to hear about the gospel. And every, you know, every week we would kind of, like, highlight that or we would um, bold that section and say, okay, yeah, we got one more section done, one more section done. And eventually, we had covered the radius of what we were hoping to cover uh, in the neighborhood of Fremont. And that was our ministry. That's our ministry is a church to reach the area around us. Paul, um, not just a neighborhood, but he, his distance expanded uh, roughly about 1,000 miles. That was his hope to cover between Jerusalem to Lyricum, 1,000-mile distance. And his goal, again, was making sure that the Gentiles would be fully reached in this, in this area. And so that's, uh, just as an aside, that's the kind of distance that, that Paul was, that was, his, that was his ministry. He was trying to cover those areas. And he fully covered it. You know, if he could look at the board that we had, his whole area, he had fully covered those sections that he had hoped to cover. And now Paul is going to tell us about his, his second approach towards ministry, which is found in verses 20 through 21. And it says, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. And the second um, approach he took towards it, or second goal he had, is that Paul wanted to reach the unreached areas with the gospel. Paul wanted to reach the unreached areas with the gospel. Um, His goal in reaching the Gentiles was that he would preach to people who had never heard before, who didn't know Christ. Paul did not feel like his calling from the Lord was to reach an area that already has been covered. He felt that he wanted to be, in some ways, kind of a pioneer, um, kind of reaching new territories, new places, and he would begin the initial work of sowing seeds, of, uh, of reaching these people for the first time. Uh, he really uh, he took Isaiah fifty two fifteen to heart, as sort of his reasoning behind starting this, and he quotes it uh, in verse 22. And this is kind of, in some ways, his reasoning behind starting this work, but also, in some ways, he was also fulfilling that very prophecy by doing the groundwork of reaching the lost Gentile nation. You know, I've worked for, you know, certain organizations, whether it be a VBS or uh, sometimes summer camps, or you have uh, Christian facilities, and all of them, in some ways, they have a mission statement. They'll have a verse usually on their wall or it's on every piece of document they have. It's their mission statement that they have. It's the goal, the aim that this person or this organization has 
for their employees, for their um, staff members, that, you know, if nothing else, we aim to do this. And, um, and that was, that, this verse here in verse 22, which is taken from Isaiah 52, 15, was kind of Paul's mission statement. That was his, the verse that he would go back to and remind him that this is my goal. And he wanted that those who are lost and blind spiritually, that they would have vision, that they would see. He wanted those who had never heard the good news, that they would understand the implications for their own lives. And hopefully, they would respond in, in turn by placing their faith in Christ. That was Paul's mission, reaching the unreached areas. Um, before going on, though, I do feel it's important to point out that uh, this was Paul's mission. This was, his, this was his mission of sowing seed, of reaching these unreached parts. But it doesn't necessarily mean that, as you're listening here, that uh, you're also called to that exact same mission of reaching the unreached areas, of being the initial person doing the groundwork. Some people are called to build upon already existing works. Some people are called to just water those seeds that have already been planted. Some people are, are called to, to minister in, in discipling those who are already saved. Um, some people are, are to use their gifts through preaching and teaching and training up other believers to mature them. And uh, no matter what you look at, whether it's Paul who feels a calling to you know, plant seed or whether it be called someone who's to water seed, um, Neither, one, neither role is greater than the other, uh, because ultimately both are working side by side to bring the gospel to a nation that doesn't know him and to allow God to use their work to build his church, to bring other souls to Christ. And Paul actually later in uh, 1 Corinthians says this very thing. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gave the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. At the end of the day, Paul, he has to humbly admit that, uh, you know, it's not about, you know, the full-time workers that save these souls. It's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's not about, you know, you, who does anything. Um, you know, we do what we can. We, we water, we, we, uh, we sow seeds. But at the end of the day, ultimately, at the end of the day, the one who saves souls is Christ. He, God is the one who brings them uh, to salvation. And as a reward for their service, God will reward both, both the workers who water and those who plant. I think uh, Colossians 3.23 says it best with kind of the attitude that we should have towards service, whether you've been called to a service of watering, whether you've been called to a service of uh, planting or discipleship or whatever it's been called to. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward for the inherit of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So no matter what ministry God's called you to, uh, no matter what mission, no matter what purpose, serve him wholeheartedly. Paul knew that this was his calling for his life, but for you, what has God called you to in your own life? Paul's desire was to see um, these unreached areas be touched, and, and, he, and he did that very thing. But has God also laid on your heart that same desire? Has he called you to some unreached area? Has he given you direction or a location that he wants you to serve in? Or maybe he's not called you out of country, but has he called you domestically to another state? 
Or has he called you to some other area in California? Or is it just that he's had you right here in, in Fremont and this is where he has you to be? What is God's will for your life? What is the mission field that God has called you to serve him in? Whatever mission field he has you in, serve him there in whatever capacity you can and serve him there wholeheartedly. And if you don't know, if you haven't felt called to a specific area, if you, if, if you don't know really, you know, if I should go abroad or if I should stay in the same state or if I should go, you know, in a different area, ask the Lord, pray to the Lord and ask him to reveal to him, Lord, where shall I go? Where would you have me best serve you? Lord, where, what is your plan for my life? Where can I be most effective for you? And the Lord will open the door for you. The Lord will provide for you an answer to those prayers. And so pray to him. If you don't know or you don't feel like you have a calling or a clear calling, pray to the Lord and ask him to reveal to you his plan for your life. The third attitude that Paul had in, uh, in his ministry is found in verses 22 through 24. And it says, For this reason I have also been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and be, help, uh, and be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a little while. And the third, um, the third takeaway from this, the third kind of attitude that Paul had towards um, this is that um, Paul enjoyed fellowshipping with other believers. Paul enjoyed fellowshipping with other believers, and believers, in turn, should enjoy fellowshipping with other believers as well. Up until this point, Paul desired to reach these regions, and he finally did. He finally accomplished his goal, and that, you know, in turn had been preventing him up until this point of coming to the Romans. But now the foundation's been laid, the seeds have been sown, and Paul's mission had been completed. And now Paul is free to visit the church in Rome, and he wants to fulfill his desire to fellowship with them. And then, in the near future, he plans to visit them on the way to Spain, knowing that along the way, they would be a help to him. And I just want you to notice that, you know, although we could quickly pass by this, I just wanted to point this section out because it just shows that Paul valued his time spent with other believers. It wasn't, to Paul, it wasn't a drag to be around other believers. It wasn't a burden. It wasn't a difficulty um, to talking with them or to being around them or to enjoying their time. It was something that he actually uh, felt like it was an encouragement to him. It was a time where he can come and come to other believers <clears throat> and, um, and take, uh, take encouragement from them. Because all believers at one point or another will face trials. They're going to face hardships, especially if you're out in um, a mission field uh, abroad you're going to have uh, discouragement. You're going to have likely even times of persecution. And Paul, he knew all of those things. He was aware of all those experiences. He had felt them all. He was no stranger to these things. And so there was nothing better to him than to be surrounded by fellow believers who can come alongside you and build you up. Believers who can offer encouragement. Believers who can tell you about how the Lord is using them in their ministry for them, for the Lord. Um, he liked to hear about the victories, the successes of other people in their, spiritual walk, in their spiritual walk with the Lord. He enjoyed that, you know, another believer can challenge you to also press on in your ministry for the Lord. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenances, 
so the man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And that's really, I believe, why Paul had such a desire to visit the church. Paul thoroughly enjoyed fellowshipping with other believers, and he was looking to be sharpened by being around other brothers and sisters who were also like-minded. And that should be the case for us, too. In fact, we have this very command in Hebrews 10, 10, 24-25, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so, and, so much, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Lord desires that believers would continue coming together, continue fellowshipping with one another. And so this, and so this is a time where people can demonstrate love to one another. They can encourage one another to do good works, to continue on living a life that is ready, that is prepared for the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul desired to see the Church of Rome. And we too, again, should enjoy fellowshipping and building up one another when we come together to meet. Paul continues again in verse 25 where he says, But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it, is, for it pleased those from Macedonia to Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are debtors. For if the Gentiles had been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed them to this, sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by the way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Though Paul has future desire to come to the Church of Rome, currently his journey is taking him to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem to deliver this financial gift that has um, intended to be given to the poor saints in Jerusalem. The Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia had given Paul this donation to deliver to Jerusalem. They were um, not only just pleased to give this gift to Jerusalem, but they also felt morally obligated to give to them. And that's because the Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia realized that they had benefited spiritually from those, Jew- from those Jewish believers in uh, Jerusalem because those Jewish believers had presented them with the gospel message. And because they had in turn given to them spiritually what they needed, they felt the, the least they could do was give back to them and assist them in their financial needs. And this is a lesson that we can take, too, uh, take note from too And this is the fourth principle that we can learn from Paul's attitude towards uh, ministry, and that is that you are to give to those who have contributed to your spiritual growth. You give to those who have contributed to your spiritual growth. Whether you've been a believer for a day or for 50-plus years, there are countless people who have witnessed you. There are people who have taught you the scriptures so that you can understand them better. There are people who have discipled you. Um, Or... Maybe they helped you mature even more as you got saved through another means. There are people through various ministries, whether it be a Bible study, a church meeting, a discipleship program, a Christian conference, a radio program, an online resource, a book they wrote, uh, whatever it may be, all these people shaped you to become the man or woman you are today in Christ. All of these people helped you along the way. Those that put out Bible studies, those programs, those conferences, They have put in countless hours of their own personal time 
that they could have used for family time, they could have used for vacations, they could have used for whatever other leisure thing they liked doing, but instead they decided that it was worth it to them to continue on in their ministry, ministering to either unbelievers who don't know Christ or believers who do know Christ but need to be encouraged, need to be um, matured, and need to be uh, just uh, matured along their way in, in Christ. And they spent time that they didn't have to spend in order that you might be benefited. Addition, in addition to their time, they've also spent probably some of their own resources to allow that program to continue on. A lot of times, you know, we're, we're here for a message or two, but we don't realize all the work that goes in behind the scenes to keep a building running or to keep, uh, you know, conferences going or to keep a camp going. There's so many moving parts that, you know, we benefit from, but we don't even think about the other things behind the scenes on. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, um, they pour out financially into their ministry in order to keep it running, to keep it afloat, um, so that other people can hear the good news, um, so that it can run smoothly, so that people can enjoy the goodness of, uh, of that ministry. Uh, or, or maybe there's missionaries out there abroad um, that maybe you haven't personally um, benefited from, but there's a financial need. They need uh, help to continue on in preaching the gospel to new places, and you just want to give to them. Or, you know, there's uh, some other new ministry through, you know, printing and translating um, books from one, one language to another. Whatever it may be. I mean, just think about it. The Bible did not start off in English. The Bible was translated. And through the means and through the time and effort of someone translating it, through the financial giving of someone else to print it out for you, eventually you too heard the good news. And so the principle here that Paul had applies to, to us as well. If there are people who have benefited you spiritually, if there are organizations, if there are leaders, speakers, programs, conferences, you name it, however they have benefited you spiritually, if they have ministered to your spiritual well-being, then minister to them in material things. Minister to them by giving and supporting them and encouraging them on in their ministry. And so again, the fourth point is give to those who have spiritually benefited you. So now Paul... He, uh, he says, you know, once again, I, I've completed my mission. Once I've done that, I'm going to deliver this funds, and then I would like to visit Rome, and uh, I'll do that on my way to Spain. And he believed uh, that when he visited them, he would be full of the blessing of Christ. And now uh, we reach this final attitude that he had towards ministry in verses 30 through 33. It says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service from Jerusalem, uh, for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with the joy by the will of God, and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The fifth and final point that uh, Paul is, is making here, and the attitude that he has towards ministry is that prayer is essential to all effective ministry. Prayer is essential to an effective ministry. <clears throat> and Paul decides to close his chapter with this plea to the Church of Rome to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. He wants the church really to labor in prayer with him. And actually, another way of really translating it would be to agonize in prayer to God for him. He really wants them to pray fervently to the Lord 
for his requests. And he realizes that, you know, uh, all believers must acknowledge, and, and this, is, this is key to know, that all believers must acknowledge that in order for an effective ministry to happen, we have to acknowledge that we can do nothing without the help of our Lord. We can try as hard as we can on our own strength, on our own ability, on our own power, but without the help and power of God behind us, we're nothing. And so Paul pleads with his uh, readers in Rome, in the Church of Rome, to come before the all-powerful, all-knowing God, the creator of the universe, the one who is before all things, and in him all things are held together. The same one, though, who also, though, is also interested and invested in our, ver- in our each and individual needs, the one who cares for us, the one who knows every hair is on our heads. He desires that they would come before that God and pray to him. And he desires them to come before him and just humbly acknowledge that we are unable to do this on our own, but plead to the Lord who can do those things for him. And so, and so it is with us that we also should have that same attitude of learning that, you know what, on our own ability, even though I may be this apostle who has reached all these areas, on our own ability, we can do nothing. And we need to acknowledge our inability, but realize God's ability to do these things. And so we pray to him, realizing that without his strength, without his help, we are unable to do these things. But with him, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so prayer is, is so essential to be successful in any ministry, and Paul knew that. And so he covets the prayers of, his, of the saints for him. And so he brings them just simply four prayer requests. He prays, first of all, for the protection from those who oppose him and who are hostile towards the gospel. He prays that the Lord would protect him in that way. He prays that when he gives that gift that he's intended to give to uh, the saints in Jerusalem, he prays that they would be willing and able to accept that gift. Sometimes it can be difficult to accept a gift from another person, but he prays that they would be generous and, uh, and humble in taking that gift. He thirdly prays that if it's God's will, he'll be able to come to Rome and fellowship with the saints. And the last thing he prays for, that when he does come, he prays that he'll be refreshed by the fellowship of the saints in Rome. These are his requests. These are the desires that Paul had. These are things he longs for the saints in Rome to petition with the Lord alongside him for. And again, we can follow this example. We, again, understand our own uh, our own inability to do anything, but that we have a mighty God who hears our prayers. And I just love that we can pray, it says in Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And just as Paul did, we can look to the Lord for our prayer requests. But also, not just we don't have to just pray by ourselves for these requests. We can bring in other saints to pray alongside with us. What better thing to do than just have one person, but to have a whole group of prayer warriors praying for that request, praying to the Lord, petitioning to him that he would hear it and that he would answer that prayer. And so we too, um, uh, we should bring our request before the Lord, also bring it before the whole assembly and have them pray alongside with us. Earlier in, in this chapter, um, in, uh, in, in chapter 15, Paul had described God as the God of patience in verse 5. And then in verse 13, he describes him as the God of hope. 
And now, in conclusion to this chapter, he says in verse 33, now the God of peace be with you all. And Paul is just saying that, you know, God is the source, God who, the, God who is the source of peace, I pray that he'll be near to the Christians who are in Rome. You know, God is the source of every good thing. He's the source of everything that we have. He provides every good thing that we have for today's life, for our, our current situation, and for eternity. And so God says, and so Paul says, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. It's just my hope and prayer that um, even through a section that, you know, may seem like it's just the conclusion to a chapter, I pray that we'd be able to find just uh, things we can apply to our own life through it. And so I, my hope and prayer is that we can learn from the life of Paul and how he, he lived his life in ministry so that we might bring glory to God through our own actions and our own ministry. Let's just pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just uh, we thank you for the example of, of Paul. We thank you for what he did in his ministry and how you used him. Lord, we thank you for a lot of the mindset uh, and attitudes that he had towards uh, approaching this, this ministry, Lord. And we just acknowledge that, Lord, um, in any ministry we have, Lord, without you, we are nothing. And we need you to be effective in it. I pray that, Lord, you would um, just be glorified through all that we do in our ministries. I pray that you would be honored and that, Lord, we would um, just be used mightily for you to bring you the glory. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.